Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. Here's a change of schedule. Beginning April 29th until June 17th, we will be meeting at 8.30 a.m., 9.45 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 12.45 p.m. We are located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Everyone can learn intuition. And I know that seems a little bit like a contradiction because we think of intuition as that internal instinct that people are sort of just that just born with. You're just kind of born an intuitor. But just hear me out here. Most of our communication is actually happening through our nonverbal cues. For more than half a century, researchers have been telling us about the importance of nonverbal communication. In a book uh, a while back, it was a bestseller, and I kid you not, this really is the title of the book, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. Uh, That was really the name of this book. The authors noted that 60 to 80% of the impact made in communication is actually done through nonverbal cues. Now, hold on. This is another startling thing here. Ready? Scholars have also shown that women can read these nonverbal cues better than men. (laughs) Shocking. I mean, absolutely stunning. This is often called intuition. Now, so ladies, you can go ahead and turn to any guy next to you and just simply say, I I told you so. I have been, go ahead, you can turn to them and say, I I told you. I mean, this is true. It's fact, scholarship, the whole thing. Studies also show, by the way, that intuition without facts is often misleading. It often leads you in the wrong direction to the wrong conclusion. So there, men, you have something to hold on to there, but you don't need to wag your finger or say, I told you so. Just sit there, silent, looking smug. Um, that'll be sufficient. But there is some good news for men here. They say that men in nurturing fields like nursing or counseling or things like that, male artists as well, score better in tests trying to uncover these disciplines than other men do. They have actually, because of the need of their profession, learned to read these cues. And that means that intuition can, in fact, be learned, which is fascinating. At least this portion of intuition. If you can learn to read the cues, those cues help your intuition, then this is important for us. Why does it matter at church this morning? Because we actually need intuition in order to hear from God. Because God is constantly using nonverbal cues. In fact, this whole series is asking the question, is there anybody out there? But we're not asking it in the sense of, does God really exist? That's a topic for another day. We're talking about it in the sense of, why can't I hear God? 
Why doesn't he listen? Why doesn't he respond? That's what we're talking about during this series. And what we've been arguing since Easter, since the beginning of this series, is that God is, in fact, speaking to us all the time. But we're hard of hearing. God uses nonverbal cues and gestures and symbols and signs and other types of physical manifestations to communicate with us. And sometimes we might even think to ourselves, well, maybe this is really God's voice, or maybe it's not. We're not quite sure. How can we be more sure? This is part of what we're going to be focusing on during today's message. Because we've stated it again and again that God speaks, but we don't hear or understand. In fact, the Bible says it just like that. In Job chapter 33, he says, For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. Take a look at that verse. For God speaks again and again, though people do not recognize it. What? So God's literally telling us right here, listen, I am talking to you. You don't get it. I have been trying again and again. You don't get it. Sort of begs the question, you know, why doesn't God speak up a little? Right? Like, come on. But the reality is that God usually doesn't shout, which really is actually kind of a cool thing, because if he did, I mean, how often do you feel like shouting is a good part of your relationships? I mean, is it like the kind of thing you're hoping for that usually draws people together, huh? That, you know, all the yelling and the shouting and the screaming, that's how we better communicate? I mean, come on, we already know that's not the case. So rarely does God do it. But God's quiet voice actually will build intimacy in the relationship. It's sort of interesting the way that works, because if you can imagine it yourselves, right? You're out at a, at a fancy restaurant for a romantic dinner with your sweetheart. It's great. It's beautiful. Great food, a nice glass of wine, soft music playing in the background, and the sort of hushed tones that could be in an environment like that. And those hushed tones actually draw you together. It's the wanting to hear every word but not having to like stand back because you're getting yelled at. And so instead of, of kind of stepping back and being more defensive, you actually move closer to someone. You, the hushed tones actually will bring you into closer proximity. So I think sometimes we can't hear the voice of God because he's being a perfect gentleman. Now one of the ways that God speaks to us that we have not yet spoken about in this series is through coincidences. Coincidences. The word for coincidence actually shows up, a version of it, on only one place in the New Testament. It's in a parable in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. So open up, we'll take a quick look at it. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan, and a little bit of cultural background to kind of help you get the, the, the power of this parable that Jesus told. So this is a Jewish rabbi, Jesus, telling a story about a Jewish guy who's traveling from one Jewish city to another Jewish city. The priest in the story is a Jewish priest. The Levite is a Jewish Levite. And all of those players are part of the cultural background of the Jews that he is speaking to, except the one guy, the Samaritan. And the Samaritan is actually a despised enemy of the Jews. 
the, there is hatred that goes in both directions. That's sort of the cultural background as to why this was such a powerful parable back then and, of course, even today. So in reply, verse 30, Jesus said, A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? This is a powerful passage. You can go in this a hundred different directions and really glean a whole lot of important um, concepts and theological things out of this. There's only one little phrase that I wanted us to think about. It's in verse 31. A priest happened to be going. Happened to be going. He just happened to be there. This is actually, a, the, the Greek word here is actually made up. If it's a, it's a compound, he's got two different Greek words. One is the word soon, which means together with, and the other one is kurios, which means supreme in authority. So he's saying what, what is together because of the supreme power of God. So one way to understand this word is to define it like this. It's what occurs together, the things that happen together, by God's providential arrangement of circumstances. Providence is a part of what just happens to be. And you see it, the priest just happened to be at the right place at the right time to do the will of God and to have compassion. But he didn't. And in fact, all of the characters in the story just happened to be there. The robbers just happened to pick that road at that time. The guy that got mugged just happened to be going down there. The priest happened to be there. The Levite happened to be there. Even the Samaritan just happened to be traveling as a foreigner between foreign cities and able to help a foreign guy. Just happened to be there. And we see God's providential arrangement of circumstances throughout the Bible. It's not just here. There are countless examples. Abraham and Isaac in the ram that just happened to get caught in the thicket. Moses, he just, his basket just happened to go down around the time that Pharaoh's daughter was out. Rahab, Gideon, Zacchaeus just happened to be in that tree and Jesus just happened to take notice of that guy. Philip and the Ethiopian, they were just happened to be at the same place. And sometimes we see the backstory that God is doing a work, and sometimes we don't. There's even some key scriptures. Some of you who have been studying the Bible for some time might know some of these verses, so help me out with them. One is Ephesians 2. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Wait, you're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, but then how does that verse end? Which God prepared in advance for us to do. Wait a minute. So God already has works for you to do laid out in front of you? 
Yes. He's already prepared them in advance. A less known verse, Proverbs 16, 9. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. Really? He makes our steps. He determines where it's going to go, how it's going to happen, when it's going to happen. Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of all those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Even some of our very familiar verses hint at this same exact idea. God's already at work all around you all the time. A couple weeks ago, we spent a little bit of time in the book of Esther, and we were talking about it in a different way, but the, the, today's message could be, be derived right from the book of Esther as well. And I can't go through all the details of the book, but I hope you went home and read it after that last week. And if not, go home and read it uh, this week. But anyway, it, it, think of how much in the book of Esther just happens to take place. Esther just happens to be so beautiful that the king sees her and wants to marry her. Mordecai, her relative, just happens to hear a plot against the king. He just happened to be there at the right time. He reports it to the king, and somebody logs that a conspiracy against the king has been thwarted because of Mordecai. Then, later on in the story, the king just happens to have a bout with insomnia. He just happens to not be able to sleep. And that night, he asks for someone to read him something boring so he could go to sleep. And so they go over and they get some of the official records of the court. And he's just the guy who he asked to do it just happens to pick the one that tells the story of Mordecai. And he's reading through it and he says, did anything good ever happen to this man Mordecai? And they're like, no, not that I know of. We have no record of anything good happening to Mordecai. And he's like, let's do it. He just happens to ask Haman to make sure it happens, which inflames Haman, the enemy of the Jews. So that he decides he must kill him and he's going to kill Mordecai and his people. And then in the moment where Esther is encouraged and she reveals this great plot against her and the Jewish people and she's going to save all of the people, the king storms out of the room. Haman is there with the queen, all upset. Everyone, there's a lot of tension. Haman knows that he's going to be killed. He's got to beg for mercy from the queen. So he throws himself on the queen, pleading, begging for mercy. And the king just happens to walk back in the room at that moment and decides that it's not him begging for his life, that Haman is attacking his wife. That's how he sees it. And he says, you'll even attack the queen in my presence? Haman is killed, and the Jewish people are saved. The book of Esther is famous for never mentioning the name of God. Nowhere in the book do we ever hear God speak. But yet, the hand of God, the fingerprints of God, are on every page. God just happens to show up time and time and time again. Mark Batterson, he says it like this, but generally God speaks through divine appointments and divine timing. I call them spiritual synchronicities. I make no apologies for believing that God is in the business of strategically positioning us in the right place at the right time with the right people. And neither do I. 
Just imagine what these spiritual synchronicities mean. It means the opportunities, the situations that happen all around us, the people that we run into, the problems that delay us, that wreak havoc on our schedules, the medical conditions that we struggle with, the classes that we take and the classes that we didn't get into, the, the rejection letters that start rolling in, the car accidents, the serendipitous meeting that you have when you're out walking your dog. All of these things can be used by God to communicate to us. In fact, many of them are used by God to communicate with us. He might be trying to provide you with some opportunity to serve someone. Or maybe he's using it to challenge you to grow in your faith or to show us his will. Or maybe he's trying to help us trust him more. He's telling us through these circumstances that he hasn't forgotten us. To remind us of our value and our worth in his eyes. Will help us see Jesus more fully and to reveal his love. I mean, it makes for such a vibrant and lively kind of ongoing moment-by-moment moment relationship with God. If we can see all of these situations and circumstances in this light, which is so great. We can look around our lives and we can see the, co the coincidences of what just happens to be. And we can look for God communicating with us. Here's the problem which you've probably already anticipated. Coincidences are easy to misinterpret. Misunderstanding God is rampant. And it's easy to misrepresent and misinterpret what we think God is communicating to us. So imagine you have these coincidences and you want to think, well, this is probably from God. Maybe God ordained these circumstances in this moment with these people. Maybe. Maybe you're misreading the signs. Just because you're walking down the road and you find a giant bag of cash that fell out of the back of an armored truck with the name of the bank on it does not mean you get to take it home. It just doesn't. You walk into a car dealership, and the salesman happens to have the same exact name as you, and he's got a cross. This does not mean you should buy a car that you cannot afford. It doesn't work. Yes, but look, it was clearly a divine moment, and this is what my angel from God wants me to buy. Just because while you're on a business trip, that... Sexy lady is sitting there at the bar once again. My goodness, what a coincidence. Night after night of this trip, there she is. That does not mean you get to take her to your hotel room. This isn't the way it works. It's just as likely a temptation from the enemy. The problem isn't simply when we're trying to understand coincidences. In fact, this impacts Every topic that we have covered since Easter. This is the caveat that we haven't been developing every single week. 
but is essential in understanding and applying all of the different weeks that we have been, the different topics that we've been covering. It impacts them all. We had talked about how, for instance, we had talked about how God uses people to lead you and to help you hear from him. And they're his voice. That is true. And sometimes when people are speaking to you, it's from God. And sometimes they're leading you away from him. That's the reality. That door that opened up for you, maybe that was God opening it. Maybe it was Satan. That door that is closed, maybe that's God. Maybe it's the enemy. Maybe it's just you yanking on the closed door, trying to break your way in through selfishness. Or maybe the door is closed by, by God, or by circumstances, or by the enemy. And God still wants you on the other side of it, but it's not going to open. You need to go headlong first through the door, through the wall, out a window, as an act of faith. Even the scriptures themselves are regularly misinterpreted, misunderstood, and misapplied. So let's say, you know, you're going through a very tough week. You lost your job. You lost your girlfriend. You lost your dog. You found a cat. I mean, things can't get much worse than that. And so you, you go to God and you start reading the Bible, and you just cry out, God, please show me your will. What should I do next? And you flip open the Bible, and you start thumbing around, and you plop your finger down, and you start reading, and it says, and Judas went out and hung himself. <laughs> not from God. It's not his message. Because even the scriptures have to be understood. And there are often signs and metaphors and historical moments that need discernment. So what's a Christian to do? Many Christian writers reference the three lights, circumstances, inner promptings, and God's word or biblical principles. And these three lights, when they're in alignment, they can be used with more certainty to let us see whether or not God is guiding us. Circumstances are what we're talking about here this morning. Biblical principles are what we spoke about in a previous week, but it's important to recognize that once again, it's rare that God will give you specific direction, left or right, which college to go to through reading of the Bible. But he will communicate with you every day through biblical principles. Every day and nearly every decision can be impacted by biblical principles. And then there's inner promptings. And these inner promptings are the subtext of the whole series. This is the still small voice that is in our soul. It's, it's that conversational relationship, experience of God. It's the, it's the leading by the Spirit. It's the instinct. It's, it's the sense that so many maturing Christians all testify to experiencing at various points in their lives. And I'm telling you, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times over the years, I have heard from people who have just known. They have an inner sense. They hear a voice from God, not in an audible way, but still as concrete and certain to them, and it happens time and again. It's so regular that we should expect it to be the case. 
for followers of Christ. And somehow this voice takes on a sense of authority that allows us to distinguish it from all of the clamorings that go on in our soul. It's mysterious, but it is verified extensively in the lives of maturing Christians. And so these three lights get to work together so that now we can make responsible, mature decisions. They're like three lenses, and when they all sort of line up, they reveal what it is that we need to see. And this can be developed through skill and practice. You can develop this technique, this skill. You can learn to read those signs. You can learn to intuit how God is trying to communicate with us. You can also learn it through people around you who are gifted and skilled in this way as well. If they're grounded and emotionally and spiritually mature and wise, they can help you develop this kind of relationship with God. So let's say you have a thorny situation that you're praying about at work. What are the circumstances? Right? What are the opportunities that are opening up? What are the roadblocks? What do my bosses have to say? What's the support I get from the, well, the people that are in my office? What are the relationships here that can be leveraged? What just happens to be available? That's how you're examining the circumstances. Then you go after the biblical principles. Are we doing this because of greed? What vulnerable people are going to be hurt by this decision or by not making this decision? Do any of these decisions honor God more fully than the other decisions? Then we have inner promptings. Have we even prayed about it? Have we even started this dialogue with God? What is the settled authoritative voice in our soul telling us, if anything? And then make a responsible, mature decision. And if you're still foggy on it, ask a wise person to run this with you. Let them ask the same questions. What are the circumstances? What are the biblical principles? What is the inner sense telling me? So you want to know, is she the one? Should I marry him? Well, what are the circumstances? You did meet. That's good. That's a start. That has to happen. Do we have many shared interests? You're going to want some, for sure. Do you find them attractive inside and out? Biblical principles. Are they a believer? If you're a follower of Christ, you should be with a believer. Do they honor biblical sexual ethics? Do they want to live for God and for his kingdom? Are they devout and honorable in their faith? Matters. What about the inner promptings? What's your spiritual gut saying? I mean, do you want to get married? That's a big question. Are there hesitations that you're not willing to let surface? Is God smiling on the relationship? Do you have a sense that together the two of you are closer to God than if you were apart? And what do wise people who know you and love you have to say about this? See, and down the line you go. You can run this same sort of a grid. What college, what neighborhood should we live in? 
What house should we buy? Should I get the surgery or not? When should I retire? What church should I go to? Actually, we know the answer. It's always Beacon. <laughs> God told me it's always. What other church sounds like Bacon? I mean, it's always <laughs> Beacon. And we get to know in all of these moments that God is perfectly able to guide and communicate with us. In fact, he wants to. Jesus left the comfort of heaven, the intimacy of the Trinity, disrupted so that he could incarnate. God become flesh so that he could live among us, so he could communicate with us, so he could show us through sign language, his own life, what the love of God would look like in a transformed life. And then he laid his life down in sacrifice so that when he returns to the Father, he could send the Spirit whom he promised so that we would forever be able to communicate with him. That's the promise that Jesus has made and the sacrifice he was willing to pursue to make communication with us possible. He wants to communicate. He desires it. And he's doing it all the time. And we can know for certain that he's perfectly able to guide us, to communicate with us. And if he really needs to redirect us in some way, he can do that too. Circumstances, biblical principles, inner promptings, make a wise decision. I'm going to ask the band to come up. They're going to lead us in a song as we prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table. And uh, as they do, I'm going to ask that you guys would stand so that I could pray for us, that, uh, that God would do this in our hearts, even this morning. Father, what we are seeking from you here isn't simply uh, the connection that we have with you when we're here. Lord, we've come out to church on a Sunday because in some way we want to hear from you, we want to sit with you, we want to, we want to learn, we want to grow. But Father, what we want isn't for this to be something, this communication, this relationship to only be here on a Sunday. What we want, Lord, is for this to be an everyday part of our journey with you, of our relationship with you. Lord, we want to be able to walk with you and hear from you and sense your presence hear your guidance, experience your love. We want, we want all of these different forms of communication to be made ever more real. That's what we want, Lord. We pray that uh, as a result of being here today that we would learn a little, but Lord, that more importantly, we would, we would come to sense and experience your presence through the songs, through coming to the Lord's table where we can repent of the things keeping us away from you, Lord, that all of these things would play out such that we might come to know and to love you more fully and completely that we might hear and know your voice. We pray it in God, in Christ's name. Amen. <laughs>